0: i'm jg michael and this is parallax views hello this is mike swanson in a few moments you're going to listen to another segment of parallax views but before you do that let me tell you about my new book why the vietnam war it's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews on Amazon's been out for years, but this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire and national security state operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, Y. Kellerman, sade 13, David, Ava, Bob, The West Bank Robbery Podcast, Jamie, Gary, Max, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Brian, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now, on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, we're joined by Louis Fishman, author of Jews and Palestinians in the Late Ottoman Era, 1908 to 1914. Claiming the Homeland. We'll be discussing the latest developments in Israel-Palestine, specifically the hostage prisoner swap between Israel and Hamas, and also the issue of administrative detention for Palestinian prisoners. We'll discuss a number of other topics as well, including how a lasting peace could be achieved going forward, and the problems going forward for all parties. All that and much more on this edition of Parallax Views. Without any further ado, let's get right to it with Louis Fishman. Oh, by the way, a note, this was recorded yesterday on 11-28-2023. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm really happy to be speaking with. I actually came across him through a friend of mine, uh, Gene Bagelon, who used to be involved with the uh, This Is Revolution podcast, and I, I think our guest has been on that show. Uh, welcome to Parallax Views, Louis A. Fishman, author of Jews and Palestinians in the Late Ottoman Era, 1908 to 1914, and also an associate professor at brooklyn college city university of new york he uh is known for writing about turkey israel palestine and related issues how are you doing good thanks so much i i hope i covered all the bases there you have a, a pretty great um biography and you've covered so many topics i guess where do you want to start uh i guess the the best place to start would be uh the i don't know that it would be called a a, a ceasefire right now because it's it, it it seems like a pause. I don't think that this is going to necessarily be the end of the war. Uh, but what do you make of the hostage or prison swap that has been happening right now?
1: Well, first of all, this is uh, you know a really positive development that we're going the fifth day the fifth day of uh, having prisoner swaps um, in the hostage for Palestinian Palestinian prisoners. Um, we see that it's moving forward pretty smoothly um, over the last five days. Each time. A group of 10 or 12 Israelis have been released from captivity uh, in exchange for, uh, you know, Palestinian prisoners. Uh, It started off as humanitarian, meaning it was only women, uh, children and minors being uh, released uh, on the Israeli sides and and, uh, mostly minors uh, and women on the the Palestinian side uh, that had been arrested for numerous different things often not charged, and we can talk about that uh, uh, in a second. But the idea of the ceasefire is that it's, it now looks like it's going to continue for at least two more days. Um, and, and that is something very positive. What the problem holds is what's going to happen after those two days. Now, it can either go on um, with exchange of men, um, and they've even spoke about the, the issue of letting out soldiers that were were, were kidnapped, on that october 7th day so that is going to of course for the palestinians or i say more specifically for hamas that is something good that they are they're interested in because this is giving them time to reorganize this is giving them time to to really put their clamp back on the society after this you know very long drawn drawn out you know almost 40 days of fighting Um, and losing control of some parts of the Gaza Strip, including the Sheba Hospital. So so, uh, this is going to be key. Um, Now, for Israelis, it puts them between a rock and a hard place, because the government is set on two goals, releasing all the hostages. And the other goal, of course, is to finish off Hamas. And it's turning out that that doing both of them is going to be very, very difficult.
0: I want to get into that. Um, why will that be very difficult and has there been a, a sort of change in how we talk about this over the past few days because what I was hearing last week was that it seems like Hamas has sort of vanished into the south of Gaza um and it's you know, I, I feel like people were a bit premature in saying, oh, you know, Hamas has been defeated on many levels, because I, I feel like the fighting is going to continue and that Hamas is going to reorganize right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And <clears throat> I I had uh, even uh, posted a, a a tweet the other day, just last night, uh, that, that the Israeli TV and the Israeli military analyst and the Israeli military itself, I think gave an image that was a much more positive um, that Hamas had really taken a major blow. Now we know that that's not true. Now, if you, you know, if you look on the map, you we would have known that they still were in parts of the north. But when one of the hostage releases took place in the middle, you know, just, you know, miles, probably not even miles away from where the Israeli army is, um, and they, without no fear, they came out and they released the hostages, and they filmed where they were being released from uh, in the north of Gaza. So that that in itself, I think, is a warning sign for Israel that okay, you can you can you can say that oh, we we've done great work. But we have to remember that the Israeli society is built on freeing these hostages. But we all also are dealing with a citizen army, meaning so many of these young people. You know, I believe you know tens of soldiers have already been killed in fighting, and that's going to come with a really heavy price. If they have only, you know, if they have only um, managed to kill 2,000 Hamas uh, uh, fighters over this period, um, and there's still over 25,000 more, that's telling you that it's going to, Israel is going to have to pay a very, very high price. And they're going to have to pay a high price without knowing, without no exit plan from this. So, so it really seems that they are stuck um, and we're going to have to see. Now, if Hamas is able to pull on these this hostage uh, exchange for the Palestinian prisoners, if they are able to pull this one week, two weeks, three weeks, Israelis aren't going to be so quick to jump up and go fight either, right? I mean, time has passed, um, and the urgency of this
0: is, is changing drastically. With, with regards to the idea of eradicating Hamas, a lot of people will say, You know, even if you eradicate Hamas, there would still be another militant Palestinian group that would come around down the line. You know, there's always going to be these militant resistance groups as long as there's an occupation and a lack of a political solution, whether that be a two state, uh, a confederationalist model, or or something else. Uh, Could you speak to that? What do you make of that analysis? I mean, I think that's
1: very true. I think for for the goals of Israel, right? Israel right now, when they said we're going to do it with Hamas, they're really talking about Yahya Sinwar, the head, and they're really talking about Ismail Haniya in in Qatar and, and some of the top leadership, right? Um, and I think um, that would be a major blow, um, you know, uh, to them. But what will come in this place if if the United States doesn't? If the United States doesn't uh, present something that is tangible, right? You're going to have something else emerge. Now, there's one thing that I want to—I think it's very, very important for Israelis right now. I think there is no way to imagine they're going to go back to that status quo that they had before, where rockets can be sent over so easily into the southern area. I think that's very important. That's going to go for the north also. So I think Israelis understand today. That there's no going back to a pre-October 7th um reality. How do you reach that? I'm arguing that yes, you might have to reach that, not might, you would have to reach it through diplomacy, through hard uh diplomacy that's going to push Hamas's ability um, from threatening Israel in this way and transforming them to or transforming the new leadership. Because I don't I, I really do not see that this model of you know, Sinmar leading them is going to continue in any way, shape, or form. Now, how that happens, we're going to have to see. Will someone come in their place? Yes, they'll come in their place. But uh, there, there's no going to go back to that status quo. And that you only can do with uh, hard politicking from the United States, pressure on Israel, um, perhaps some of the Arab countries coming in and giving ideas of how you push Hamas out. Because to tell you the truth, most of the Arab countries are not on the side of Hamas, right? It, it is ruining their plans for a, a new Middle East. You know, the Biden corridor from India through Saudi Arabia, through, through Israel. None of this can go forward. So we're going to have to see what happens after the dust settles from this. And I will say with the very high number of deaths in Gaza, that makes it even more harder to, 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 to move on. Um, the question of Hamas would have or would have not um, been so willing to give the hostages out like this. I, I actually would I would say that Israel might have been right that they needed this really hard pounding for them to say, you know what, now's the time for the hostages. Because I just didn't see that they were were serious about releasing anyone at the very
0: beginning. Now we see they need the time, and that's what's happening. You talked about the pre-October seventh status quo. What do we actually mean by the status quo? Because that's a word we've heard a lot lately. That there was the status quo that we we had the quotes by Netanyahu saying, you know, we control the height of the flame in Gaza. What was the status quo before October seventh?
1: I mean, for you know, Netanyahu has been in power since around two thousand nine. Um, he came in right when the, when the first major um, you know, upheavals or clashes between Hamas and Israel. And the status quo was that, you know, every three or four years is a breakdown in violence. They reach some type of agreement. Um, Netanyahu's government is happy that there's going to be some quiet on the southern front. Um, they were able to, in the meantime, develop the Iron Dome, meaning that you could protect many of the Israeli lives this still did not change this the fact for the people in the, the region of the, the southern region of israel were dealing with this on a daily basis sometimes and uh, sometimes heavy bombardment i think we 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 missed that part of it right that okay uh, you know tel aviv is protected by the by the iron dome the southern cities you have a, they might be protected but you have a lot less time to take cover and shelter and you can't live normal lives but Netanyahu was, you know, the homes were built with safe rooms and, and there were ways to get around it. The idea was for Netanyahu that was, you know, well, we can we can um uh, divert any real negotiations with Palestinians as long as Hamas is happy. Um and money was given from Qatar via Israel to Hamas, right? Uh Qatar have was were paying for the for the um. Uh, for the Hamas uh, and for other people in Gaza to remain in power. So the, the idea was that Netanyahu, and this is what I'll say for Netanyahu, the status quo was something pretty impressive, was that, you know, you could bring Israel into a to a very good, strong economy, and you could minimize the conflict without solving the conflict. And remember, he is the first one that there's been no negotiations, real no negotiations with any Palestinians, whether it's Hamas or whether it's the much more moderate Palestinian Authority, so I think that is is broken now. For the for Hamas, the status quo was, well, you know, we have some understanding that we can push um, often, and we might get hit hard back. But every time we make a, a few more gains, and we're we you know we're we're stabilizing our power here in Gaza, um, and it seemed uh, really that they had a, a stronghold over Gaza. This is going to come in question. Of course, people in Gaza are going to start asking, and they already are asking, well, well was this worth it, right? Was this worth it? So much damage. Many people argue this, this strengthens Hamas. I don't know if it does or does not. I don't think we can really say that right now. But I think the people there who are are, are suffering a lack of food, housing, and mass death, um, they too might be asking the question, was this worth it? Was the status quo uh, even viable. So I claim on both sides it was unsustainable. It suited both sides during this period. Um, and uh, let me finish by saying that Netanyahu at times uh, got the sympathy of the majority of Israelis because once again, Israelis don't want their sons dying, uh, and sometimes sons and daughters, dying in combat in Gaza, right? They left it in 2005 and they want to minimize any uh, any direct action with there, um, it's a humanitarian crisis before now today it's even much much more so though
0: I might add also that I know this is a maybe a bit of a crystal ball question but w- when it comes to the future of Gaza I keep hearing uh there needs to be a revitalized Palestinian Authority in Gaza that's what Biden has said I've had guests on that say there should be a new mandate and we should have countries like Qatar administering Gaza, along with other Arab states. And the one thing that I think gets left out by most of these Western commentators saying things like this is, you know, what about what Gazans want? Um, Is there an issue with that? I think sometimes Palestinians actually get left out of the equation when it comes to them determining their own fate.
1: Well, I think, you know, the, the, the fact is that the Palestinian leadership now, besides Hamas, which is the Palestinian Authority is, um, seen quite suspiciously by suspiciously by Palestinians and their inability to move forward, um, in leadership and the, the, the PA African- in some
0: ways is seen as a collaborator in places like the West yes, Bank. Yes,
1: exactly. I was going to use that word collaborator, but they're seen exactly exactly as collaborating with Israel. But uh, but on on the flip side, you know, I think uh, both Israelis and Palestinians, uh, when it comes down to it, people want stability. Right. They want stability. And I think, uh, you know, if there was a way to promise that that their lives are going to get better, that borders are going to be more open. You know, they've been there. They're literally very few places they can ever go. They can never leave. Um, You know, it's been called the largest open air prison, whatever you want to call it. You know, if you there's no there's no uh, whitewashing this in no way, shape or form. It has serious issues, humanitarian issues, um, water issues, clean water. This was all electricity was cut down to often to a few hours a day during these last periods. I don't know what it was before October 7th. So, so, you know, I think people uh, will maybe have a a sigh of relief if there is something where they say that this is going to be a transitioning period to some kind of democratic uh, Palestinian uh, leadership there. And that 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 period can't take more than, than one year or one and a half years, right? Um, but once again, I think people if if they see it moving forward and they see that, you know, that people for the first time might actually take Gaza seriously, that might be different. The the big problem is is that you know, we can we can point fingers at Israel, we can point fingers at Hamas, even, you know, if you're on the Israeli side, you can say it was Hamas. But it's the world and that's the, the United States and Europe really has done everything to ignore the serious humanitarian crisis there for decades, not four or five years or not 10 years, four
0: decades. Well, I was going to say, not to interrupt you, but I think yes. the policy, especially under Trump, but even before that was – we can shelf this issue we can shelf the palestinian issue and you know i think that's what the abraham courts was about it was about saying you know well we can have a peace between these arab countries and israel and we could just shelf the palestinian question and i think that's uh, coming back to honest now i mean you're absolutely right and 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 it's and it's during the obama years i mean
1: obama basically is the one that that gave the green light that there doesn't have to be any negotiations Um, And I think that is we see the Obama years had a long term effect also in Syria, right? The sort of uh, the lack of intervention in Syria, the lack lack of a, a strong Middle East policy. And I think that's what Biden was trying to bring back right now. And I think that's what he's trying to do. And I called it right after October 7th. I said it was the biggest gamble that Biden has made in terms of foreign policy perhaps even more than Ukraine, right? Ukraine is a very, very big gamble, as we know. Um, and and we're going to have to wait to see what how that comes out. But with this, it's a gamble because, you know, he's trying to set straight what's going to happen in the next 30 or 40 years in the Middle East. And I think we haven't had a president for a very, very long time. Clinton,
0: perhaps at the very end of his his term, tried to jump in. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? What do you think Biden's gamble is? Because I know a lot of people in the US now are being very, um, I mean, they're very angry with Joe Biden, especially younger people that are um, very supportive of the Palestinians. They feel like he's not doing enough. So what's your analysis of Biden's policy right yeah, now? I mean,
1: Biden himself, I think, uh, is a, he sees sort of that he could be the, you know, the legacy that comes with solving the, you know, uh, you know, the hundred year conflict. Um, you know his his uh, post about uh, bringing a two state solution. Um, I, I said from the very beginning I thought he was gambling, letting Israel, you know, let Israel do the job of getting her, getting rid of Hamas, which will allow us to open up the playing field for the two state solution. Now it's a gamble because well we think Netanyahu is going to be we'll lose elections when he when when the once the war is over, but who comes in his place? How easy is that going to be? You're going to need very strong American pressures for anything to move forward. That should be that's clear. The second thing, a gamble. It's now turning into a gamble over his election, right? I mean, if Biden was not the most popular candidate, candidate here too, right? We see that uh, you know people in Michigan, a lot of Arab voters, um, are threatening not to vote for Biden. So it's turning into a domestic gamble. Before it was a regional gamble, you know, I think a foreign policy gamble. Now it's really turning towards his own future uh, in the US. Now, where the big demonstrations are, New York, DC, uh, California, it's not a big problem because it's their blue states, right? Let's face it, um, it is a problem in Michigan. And Michigan, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, his work with the United Auto
0: Workers also stands strong in Michigan. So we're going to have to see how this plays out. I, I also wanted to go back to that question I asked of, um, you know, I was asking about Palestinian self-determination because I do think there is some, there are some other commentators and I don't think you've done this, but there are some commentators that are looking at this transition period that could happen after the war. And I, I really do think that Palestinians themselves are left out. Um, how can Palestinians be more part of the process going forward? You know, this is, I think, the million-dollar
1: question because my own stance of looking at the massive Palestinian protest is that they're looking forward, but there's no leadership right now. I'm talking about in the the, the protest. <clears throat> so we're going to have to see: does that come through the Palestinian Authority? Does that come through uh, new, younger voices emerging? Right. So that's what we're going to have to see. We're going to have to look at that um, because yes, uh, there's a great amount of sympathy for Palestine right now and Palestinians. And you know at the very beginning of October 7th, I said, you know Hamas with their the the ugly acts, the hor- horrific, the massacres, you know, Hamas actually lost, that's what I said at the beginning. But Palestine was Palestine was put back on the map and I think that's very true right now, right? Palestine is there. People are talking about it. But how do you translate it translate it into political gains? Um, and I think that's gonna be much more trickier. So yes, I think working with the Palestinian Authority, trying to give the Palestinian Authority more autonomy, trying to strengthen civil uh, organizations in the process of of, you know, when 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 you go to rebuild rebuild Gaza, it's going to be central that you have, civil you know NGOs and civil organizations of Palestinians there working on the ground, right? And I think that might be that might bring the 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 change that that we're going to need. Meaning give the power to the Palestinians and don't give it to to other people. And I think you know they have they have the they have the people, they have the you know ability to do this. Um, but you're going to have to really really switch the way we understand this and go back to the people again and 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 get that new class of young people that are emerging that are educated that really want to contribute but that only can be done with hard really serious promises of a better future i think everyone's skeptical right now and it would be very hard to, for anyone to step up and take that responsibility
0: i was going to say you know, who could fill that leadership vacuum at this point? One of the things I keep hearing from some U.S. leftists, and I'm not saying they're right about this because I I don't know enough about him. But uh, I've seen people like Peter Beiner say, well, if they would just release someone like um, Marwan uh, Barghouti, he Barghouti. could be the new leader. I mean, what do you make of that analysis coming from? I mean, you know, the Barghouti card
1: has been for the last 20 years, uh, literally the last 20 years they've been using, talking about the Barghouti card. So the Barguti card is it's, it's it would be a, a major step forward if they did release them and but that it doesn't seem like it's going to happen in the near future and you know uh, if he comes out he's going to have to um come out on the on on these shoulders of, of Fatah movement right um there's no doubt about it um and that could be a shift but once again He's going to have to stand on the on on the organizations that exist already, right? And I think for that to have, that's why I say the the people are there. The people are there in the PA. The people are, you know, the PA is very corrupt, but that doesn't mean that all the people within the PA are are inept, right? So you're just gonna to have to go to that, you know, Mahmoud Abbas in his 80s now is going to, you know, seriously is going to have to move on. I mean, I think he was very sincere in 2013, 2014. There's been no other Palestinian leader that came so far to trying to create some kind of deal. Remember, right before Netanyahu came in, and who Omer and him were meeting personally, trying to write out a new peace agreement. So he's sincere, but it's over. I mean, he it's it's past. So it's going to be you know developing that 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 next generation. Um, or the generation even after that, right? Because he's in the 80s. You're not going to be developing the generation of the 60s, 90s, people in the 60s. But I think that um, Moran Barkuti, that could be interesting. Right now, I don't see it. Right now, I mean, America, United States is going to have to, in the post-war era, is going to have to put their foot down and tell Israel, that's it. October 7th was a turning point. We we This is not sustainable. We have to move forward. For that to happen, that's only Biden that can do that. Let me let me add that. That's not going to happen under Trump for one second at all. So that's sort of the conundrum we're in here that yes, you want to vote Biden out for for giving Israel the support. But who would who comes in, who's going to who's going to you know put out the goods
0: now and say, yes, now we, we really do want change? Going back to what I mentioned about people saying, well, you know, uh, Qatar can come in or Saudi Arabia can come in or these Arab states can come in. Uh, Do you think there is a problem with um, just thinking that we can rely on Arab states to fix the problems in Gaza after the war? Because I feel like that is taking away agency from Gazans.
1: Well, it's not only taking the agency from Gaza. I think the the Arab states themselves are are not uh, interested right now. I don't think – I don't think they're going to jump up and down. First, Qatar wouldn't be possible because, even you know, with all their with all their intermediating, it's been it's been great, but but they they they're not seen as 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 a as a uh, you know equal partner by by Israel. Um, so Qatar wouldn't it be. I don't think Qatar is very small. I don't think it would that would happen. You know what? Anything that happens has to happen via Egypt. That we know. And Egypt is not interested in doing this right now. You know, Egypt really is. I mean, think about it from 2008 all the way up until now. It's Egypt that's always is the one that, and this is including when Mohammed Morsi was president, right? Who was sympathetic with Hamas as a a Muslim from the Muslim Brotherhood, right? He too worked within Hillary Clinton as the Secretary of State to to bring a, a ceasefire to Gaza. Meaning Egypt has a major role here, and it's going to remain Egypt. So I I don't I don't really see um, this happening. Yes, you might have a multinational force that goes in there, a UN force that goes in there, and I think yes you have to you're going you're going to see some kind of force move in there, right? But you know uh, a civil police there can also also you know work, um and like I said, transitioning the government, but we're so far from that now my friend, we're so far from that, that it's very hard to say. But once you do have this, you know, because what I just do not see right now, how the same leadership of Hamas is going to remain there. And what comes in their place, hopefully a transition to civil government, and a a clean slate where the PA and other Palestinians, like you're saying, I think it's very important what you're saying. And, And you're absolutely right. You know, people act as if Palestinians aren't going to take this upon themselves. Well, why wouldn't they take
0: it upon themselves? They'd certainly have the skills to do it. So I wanted to talk about the um, I want to be very careful how I word this because I do have Palestinian listeners. So the Palestinian prisoners and i think some Palestinians that i know or Palestinian americans would say you call them prisoners but but i call them hostages that's what i've had Palestinian americans say yes. and given that some of them aren't even convicted i get where they're coming from on that now the thing i hear from my um israeli uh, supporting uh, american jewish friends is no they're all guilty uh, they're all violent um and they deserve to be in prison uh, what's your analysis of this because i think uh, what was it? Uh 13 out of the 39 released on the first date weren't convicted. So there is, I think, a point on the Palestinian side with that.
1: Yeah, only 13 of the 39 were convicted, even. <clears throat> yes, yeah. The, the majority were not convicted. Listen, um, Israel has had probably the the ugliest stain on the occupation, or one of the uglier stains on the occupation is the sense of. Palestinian prisoners, and this is dear to the hearts of Palestinians. Um, Remember that a Palestinian resistance, you know, you don't have to, you know, jump. And I'm very glad that many Palestinian voices came out, despite some of the the protest groups saying what happened on October 7th was resistance. You've had quite a few Palestinians come out and say, no, that wasn't resistance. That was the murder of of, of women and children um, and civilians. Now, but when you're talking about within the West Bank, you know, uh, theoretically speaking, or not theoretically speaking, if you're an occupied people, you see yourself as a way of resistance against military, whatever the case is. So, so you know, some of these people have been uh, in scuffles, small time, sometimes small, with, with the military. I mean, throwing rocks at a a uh, military uh, jeep or thing is not terror, right? I think we can agree that here in Jerusalem, uh, you have Hasidic movements that that throw rocks at police also. They're not shot and they're not arrested. Uh, and they're not detained with no administrative, uh, you know, de- just in, under administrative detentions. Having said that, I think we have to be very careful to make that comparison between them and the Israeli hostages uh, in Gaza. Palestinian prisoners, it is a a system of oppression. I got that. But do they have uh, human rights organizations going in and recording them? Yes. Do you have crimes that have been committed against them yes, and they're reported, and human rights organizations take it upon themselves to to tr- to change this. So there's nothing there's nothing good about any prison system. I think uh, I think most prison systems are, go bad, right? But you do have the recording, and you do this now. Other some of these prisoners, um, you know, uh, I believe it was the New York Times showed one woman pr- protester, and 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 she had actually had a bomb go off in her face, and that's why she's sort of it was def- she, her face was clearly injured um her scars and stuff so so yeah i think that people are are right to say that you know some of these people what israeli's would say have blood on their hands but what have they done they did the exact opposite they did these sweeping generalizations it was uh, on 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 twitter it was being shared that the army when they share the the names of the people released they were terrorists that are being released no they are not all terrorists and let me tell you even that there's no civil trial, right? They're under military occupation. They're in military courts. So, so you know, some people say yes, they are kangaroo courts. Other people say, okay, there are kangaroo courts, but these people really did, you know, commit crimes. Now, remember, the more we, more people are released from prison, or the more hostages that are released, the greater amount of people are going to be released from the prisons. And this is going to include people that have blood on their hands, include people that uh, committed terror attacks against Israelis. Um, But there's no there's no there's no uh, getting around it. If you want the hostages out, you're going to have to release the prisoners. We know this. This has been a model for years, for decades. This is nothing new. Right. Um, So I think that that that, you know, what I what I find on the in in the world of you know X Twitter whatever it's called now is that you have these two sides that that are so adamant right so adamant to say every time you tweet you say oh well they're they're hostages they're not prisoners they're prisoners they're terrorists right um and it, we really lose any any type of you know uh, things I remember they said well why do you say Israeli children versus uh, Palestinian minors and I said well no usually thirteen and plus I put minors. Children, I'm thinking two or three, four years old. Yes, e, uh, human rights organizations says anyone under eighteen is a child. Okay, that's true. But I think uh, also making clear that that they are uh, in their in in their teenage years is important. Um, but yes, no Palestinians. Uh, the 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 issue of Palestinian prisoners is not is nothing new, right? It's new to many people. Um, but on the on the flip side. You know, in the, in the protests, I'm not talking about uh, what's happening here on the ground. When the protests, some people, I think, exaggerate and say, well, you know, everyone is there for a legitimate resistance and stuff like that. If someone stabs a soldier, obviously they're going to be put in prison, right? Um, and that prison sentence is not going to be nice. You can accept that. And you don't have to accept that. That's the sad truth. You can call that resistance also if it was done against a soldier, Right. Or whatever your 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 things is, but you would expect they would be arrested with Israeli hostages is something very different. And I want to talk about this because it's very important. Israeli hostages, when they were were brought in, I said they will be protected very well. And you know there's this whole debate over are they treated well, or they're not treated well. Well, I say that's secondary. We know that they were they were kidnapped from their homes. People were massacred in front of their eyes, including their family members. Um, But this is the biggest bargaining card for Hamas. So of course they're going to, you know, keep them safe. I remember the first day when Israeli was bombing nonstop in Gaza, people would write me and say, oh, you know, trolls, you never know who they are. They're like, well, 60 Israelis have been killed already, or this has happened, or this happened. I said, no, they're going to be protected. And they were protected. They were, they were underground. They were, um, as far as we know until now, everyone that's came on the list has been released, right? So that should be expected. The fact that they treat them nice, it, it, it really doesn't, that really doesn't come into the formula for me. So what? You know, so what? People got mad at me when I said, well, you know, there might be very nice people in Hamas also. People are people in the end, right? You can have a nice person, you can... But you can also have a nice prison guard. You know, they're going to say no one ever is nice in prison. You can have a nice prison guard. That doesn't change any of the picture. The picture that they were taking um hostage uh, in a situation which is considered a war crime. um You're saying so the hostage be,
0: taking itself is a, a yeah. Crime, hostage you know? taking yeah.
1: is the war crime. So let's leave it at that. And and taking three year olds and and eighty five year olds and and you know it it it's. It, I think the whole thing when this is happening and maybe this is an important point to point out, is so surreal, right? A, a movie script couldn't write this. No one could write this. No one could write the attack on the, the party, you know, uh,
0: or the, and I, I think it took us- Well, the, the uh, location of that that party or rave or uh, PC yeah, music yeah. festival, it was changed like two days prior. I don't even, I think Hamas was taken by surprise by it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, they and they say that Hamas didn't know about it. And you know what? That makes complete sense. Is they didn't know it. And I think the reaction, everything you know, falling. They didn't expect Israel would, would would their security would would be so inept. And Israelis were, you know, uh, counting on that fence, saying that fence is you know one of the first hostages, hostages released. I forget, uh, Yosefet Lifshitz. She said we spent two billion on that, two billion dollars on that fence, and it didn't help. And I think that's where it brings us back that the situation before was unsustainable, right? It was unsustainable. And to
0: continue, it's unsustainable. I wanted to get back to the administrative detention issue because it's come up here before, and I've had at least one guest uh say to me, Well, they, you know, this kind of administrative detention for Palestinian prisoners is necessary it's the only way we can defend ourselves uh as someone who has always protested things like Guantanamo Bay I'm I'm not very prone to that argument w- what do you make of this claim that well the administrative detention is is necessary no it's 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 uh, absolutely um uh,
1: i think should be condemned you know first of all this is once again the, the problem of the unsustainability of the conflict you cannot be ruling over a people for 56 years and still ask for more time. You get what I'm saying? You're you're ruling over them for 56 years, and then you arrest a child who's 14 years old or 15 years old. I said a child now, right? Or a minor, but you arrest a child who's 13 or 14 for throwing rocks or for sort of doing something. And then you you know what happens is in this time. Um, often you'll see in human rights reports, and this is I'm I'm just speaking hearsay in that sense of things I've read, you know, in that time. And I I knew a case very up close about a year and a half ago, um, and it was trying to pin things on them during that time. Meaning you 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 get them and then you say, oh, shoot, we don't really have anything to arrest them for? What are we going to do? Okay, that's one case. These are the the small case. Then you have uh, the um, I forget her name right now. The 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 PFLP uh, woman uh, legislative member that was she was arrested uh, for for years, off and on. Um, you can uh, you can arrest journalists on uh, you know administrative detention. Right now, after October seventh, so it just it just highlights the fact that these people have no civil rights whatsoever. You know, and okay, if Israel used it once every three months, once every six months, once, okay then. You could you could say that this is something terrible, um, but it will work at something out. No, this is something sy- systemic. This is something that that really shows that um, we have to change the formula. We have to break out as Israelis, right? As Israelis, they have to understand that 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 that's it. Um, you know, and I think if anything, the world's going to see all these injustices. Um, you know, and 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 hopefully that will you know transform the way Washington understands this conflict. And I think you know with all of Biden's success in supporting Israel, I think a lot of um, Democratic uh, Congress people and senators are starting to ask questions, right? Uh, and I think that, that that that's very important. So yeah, I don't think you can you can shape the, these stories. you know if you have someone that, let's say for example, I'll, I'll end here, Let's say someone that you have someone that you catch them with a, a bomb on side them, bomb vest on them, and they're going to blow something up. It doesn't work. They detain them, right? Then this might be the Guantanamo Bay example, right? But you don't keep them for years. But then you might have to keep them for 10 days, 20 days without, right? You have You caught the person with explosives going in, right? But we're not talking about this a lot of times with the administrative detentions, right? We're talking about young people. We're talking about people that are journalists or are politicians or
0: something like this. You know, you know. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. Just a few more things briefly here. Uh, so here in the U.S., we have a lot of people being condemned, uh, such as uh, Rashida Talib, for saying, you know, from the river to the sea. And I'll be honest. People can argue over whether that slogan is used for or not. I know what mm-hmm. leap means because uh, there's other congressmen that have vouched for her that she I mean, she's openly talked about wanting a binational state, whether we agree with that or not. I don't think she's calling for uh, the elimination of Israeli's own uh, human rights. That's not what she's calling for. Uh, however, this debate over from the river to the sea and whether it's useful, what is your opinion on it? So I did a long
1: thread about this. And, you know, when I was watching CNN and I heard them talk about the anti-Semitic slogan being state, you know, being used, I was shocked when I heard from the River to the Sea because I've heard it for, I don't know where I first heard it, for decades I've heard it. Uh, it's something that's uh, part of the Palestinian national movement, you know, since the 60s at least. It's very historic, right? There's no doubt about it. Yeah, you have different moments in history where I meant different things, and it depends on who's saying it, you know. I,
0: you know, I was going to say it's and, also been used, it was used by the sort of uh, Jabotinsky-flavored Zionist back in the yeah, day. Yeah, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah, in fact, Israel
1: is the only country that's right now, uh, power that's implementing from the river to sea, right? Israel's uh, never annexed the West Bank, but they certainly settled and colonized it. So yeah, you you Israel's the one that's not just Jabotinsky, Israel's actually implementing the policy from the river to sea. That's the de facto right now, de facto status quo. I think what the debate in the US is one thing. First of all, Rashida Tlaib, she's Palestinian. Like what do you want from her? You know, I I I did, did you know what you want from her? She she has Jewish constituents, I'm sure. She meets with Jewish groups all the time. She is, you know, very careful with her words. So that's one thing. I think you know, I and I and I and I say, you know, um, she means this by like a binational state, perhaps, or something like this. Someone in her her position, and I don't know if she has. I would hope that she would explain it better sometimes, right? I would hope that she would come out and clear and say, "This is what I support." Because what happens is, you know, you have two mirror images, you have one side, um, <clears throat> you know, these protesters, uh, you know, always looking at anyone that's sympathetic with Israel as genocide supporters. That's a new thing. Oh, you're a supporter of genocide. Oh, you're a Zionist. The American Jewish community overwhelmingly is pro-Zionist. But what does that mean? And I just finished an article. I don't know if it'll come out, but I, I write about that. Like, what does that mean? To be Zionist. Does that mean helping sick, poor people in Israel? Yeah. Does that mean supporting the, the uh, occupation of the West Bank? For some, it does. Very much so, right? So we have these terms that were thrown around sometimes. What gets me, I think, is the non Palestinian protesters when they get so fervent in their, their call, you know for the for the sort of destruction of Israel, it's very clear, right, where they say that Israel should never exist. It's it's and, and I think this is my position, often as someone who I see myself as wanting a solution to this conflict, wanting to live both peoples in this land, working somehow, as you said at the beginning, one state, two state confederacy, you know, that I think is going to happen. I wrote an article. We're better together. Also, I really believe that. Also, I think you know the idea of any uh, homogenous ethnic nation state it comes with huge problems for the people. So, in the long term, you're better if you're able to live together. Also, I think it, it just makes a stronger place, more dynamic uh, place to live in. But uh, you know, uh, when you hear the protesters uh, on on one side shout at the other you know, uh you're a Zionist, you're a genocide supporter, or oh, you're a river, of the sea, you're this and this. Um, I think we get we we lose the debate that that this is what's happening in the US in the protests to me is a reflection of things happening in the United States, internal politics, internal democratic politics also, right? Where do you stand on Palestine? That puts you into a certain camp, right? You know, and it's the you know, uh, you could argue maybe even before Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter was, you know, a watershed movement. You had, to, of course, you had to occupy Wall Street. You had the burning crowd. You have this. So, you know, um, some even say Bernie is way too Zionistic for 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 this, which I find which which I find funny. Right. He, he he's talking re- purely pragmatic politics when he talks Palestine, Israel. Um, so I think I think that really hinders um, the the conversation um, at times, um, and so so that's where coming back to Rashida Tlib, is that if she would be clearer, and I don't know. Once again, I'm not I'm I'm not talking from knowing everything she said. It might it might transform some things, but there's some people remember that the denial of, on one hand, you have the the, the ones that really believe in the destruction of Israel. And I'm talking about non-people connected to it. But then you also have a lot of people that deny that Palestinians even
0: exist. I mean, I I was going to say, I still hear that old chestnut from time Time and immemorial argument from Joan Peters. Yeah,
1: It's, it's, it's incredible. And it's been let me tell you, it's been revived. That's the thing. I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't hear this. You didn't hear this now on Twitter. You know, my book talks about Palestinians and Jews in the Ottoman era living together with new tensions because Zionism was much more of a, a cultural um, sort of experience that re- they really never saw that an independent state was possible or thought about it. While well, Palestinians for the first time started calling themselves the Palestinian people, right? They start using that word Palestine, Palestinian, before they even dream of a nation state, they're part of the Ottomans. So now when I write this, I get people denying that it, they say, no, it was in 1960s it became a term. And I say, what are you talking about? Go back to the paper in 1911, it's called Palestine. And they, you know, and they start calling themselves Shaba Falestini, the Palestinian people. Now, what that means, where Palestine starts, where Palestine stops in the minds of people, that's different. You can, as historians, we can argue over that, right? But to say that there's no Palestinian people is completely ridiculous, it's back though, and it's very, very strong within that debate on Twitter. Let me say, and that's perhaps a lesson for all of us here: is that what's happening on Twitter is not happening in the real war, world also sometimes, um, and and we have to take that with a you know the, with a grain of salt sometimes and say, wait a minute, you know people are saying this, but what do people really think? There's two different things. But denial denial of of, of, of Palestine or Palestinians is is it's been revived in the last. Three or four years, uh, and it, it it really I think it's hurtful for Palestinians, but it really hurts the you know the future of the region also. It it prolongs the problem, it prolongs. So if you have the people people on the far right, or if you have the no, excuse me, the protesters saying you know from the river to sea means no Israel or no any Jewish representation, that
0: prolongs the problem. That doesn't help the problem. I mean, o- on the opposite end of that, I. I will say I've heard some pretty nasty things said by um the pro-Israel side at times. So, I mean there was that yeah. whole incident with um and I know people disagree with her on some things but someone like um with the Benjamin from Code Pink where you had pro-Israel uh people at the March for Israel rally yelling at her saying some very extreme <laughs> rhetoric. So, I I think what what I think's happening is I think a lot of people are having their generational collective traumas activate it and people are saying things that are driven by a very emotional place so i i, I think palestinians remember the knack it's within living memory and i think uh american jews remember uh various Shoahs. so I, I mean do you think that's what's happening right now yeah i mean i think and i think that's what
1: we get the problem of of collecting you know if Zionism is such a dirty word that you can't use it anytime, and they are all equal to the worst culmination of evil. That's how it's used now in the protest movements, right? You're a Zionist, or you're anti-Zionist. But if, 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 you, if you if you if you do that, you strengthen the, the, I don't want to say nut jobs because they're they're bigger than that. But you have within that Zionist collective and the Washington March. You have reformed Jews, you have conservative Jews, you have reformed Jews that support the Palestinian state or Jews in Palestine. I was Palestinians... going to say there was
0: a, not to interrupt you, but there was a peace block of sorts at the March for Israel rally. Groups like Truha, the rabbinic call to justice were very much in favor of the things Van Jones was saying, as in, you know, end the, end the rockets, end the bombings, uh, release the hostages, all of that, you know. And that peace block got, I think, ignored uh, by both, the most rabid right-wing Zionists and um, a lot of anti-Zionists. Yeah, I mean
1: exactly that, and that—that's my point is that you know, if if you're going to X them for being there, then you're you you're putting an X in a in a pretty large part of American uh, Judaism today, right? If you say, you know, I only recognize Zionists, and then versus the anti-Zionists, well, the anti-Zionists are are, are a small group. And, you know, I think this comes to the point that we've seen here also this sort of over obsession of what Jews think about this. Right. Also. So we have all these panels where, you know, Jews are arguing with other Jews about Palestine, you know, in, in, in college campuses. I see it numerous times. You know, let's bring a, a debate about Palestine and bring two Jews or three Jews. And I said, no, this is not this. Let's let's not turn this in about us. You know, Jewish people, why they're Zionist or why they're anti-Zionist, has a, a, comes with a very, very long history, right? And by trying to sideline that history and not to explain why someone is Zionist or not zionist um, really
0: hinders the conversation on Palestine also. Real quick in that regard, and I know you have to keep going in a, a minute or two here, but if you can give me a, a few more minutes, um, with regards to the issue of of anti-Zionism, I, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are just one and the same. I will say there are people that use anti-Zionism as a cover for their anti-Semitism. I used to see that up close from you know far right wingers, non non Jewish far right wingers that would always use the term Zionist instead of using. Uh, you know, Jew, Jew which they, they would use as, as cover, essentially. But I don't think that all anti-Zionists are anti-Semites. And I, I'm not sure shutting down debate about Zionism itself is useful either. Yeah.
1: Are you cut off at the end?
0: I was saying I don't think that anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are necessarily inherently the same. I think that yeah, sometimes yeah, it, it's it, used as cover, and I don't think the debate about Zionism itself uh, should be shut down. I, I really don't think groups like Jewish Voice for Peace should be like exiled. Uh, or, or, yeah. So, so yeah. There's,
1: I think there's there's two things here, two or three things. First of all, in the internal Jewish debate historically, there has been Zionists and anti-Zionists. I had a professor, um, brilliant, um, who was anti-Zionist. Uh, if I remember right, he was he was for one state twenty years ago, and um, he used to say that Zionism legacy was on the Jew on Jews was that. It it is not that it became such a major uh, movement among Jews, but it divided the Jewish people into two: Zionists versus an anti-Zionists. You had to take a stand on it. So within the within the Jewish within Jewish history, especially post Holocaust, right? Um, you know, where a hundred years ago, that if you would go to Zionist clubs in 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 Brooklyn or Manhattan hundred years ago. You would be shunned by your family and say, what are you doing this? And I'm talking about secular people. I'm not talking about the Hasidic movement. So you have that debate within Jews, that long debate of of where, you know, uh, are we a people? Are we not a people? What is the confines of our our people-ness, our peoplehood or nationhood? Right. We have those. We have those debates, which are internal Jewish debates. Um, When you know, anti-Zionism steps out into the non-Jewish world, right? Yes, you see, like you said, you see moments where it's used as, right? Used as a cover for anti-Semitism. And I I worked in the late Ottoman era where anti-Semitism often wasn't violent against Jewish people there, but conspiracy theories of Zionist takeovers flourished in 1911, 1912 Istanbul, way before there was a Jewish state ever, right? This idea that Zionism, so Zionism really was a new cover for talking about world Jewish power, right? Um, um and you know, you know, when you so that, you know, that that walking the fine line in the in the US, what I'm seeing is and this article that I, I wrote, uh, you know, talks about um some forms of uh, these protests have taken on something maybe not directly anti-Semitic, but forcing Jews to, to pass a litmus test. Are you with us? Or are you against us, right? So if you go to that Zionist march, you're automatically against us. There's no, neg- no, no negotiating with you. It's almost as boycott, divestment, and sanctions, BDS, now is applied to Jews worldwide. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you stand. According to that, are you ally or not. Now that to me, that very clear cut divisions of you're with us or against us can be anti-Semitic, okay? Because you're you 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 are guilty by association of being Jewish, and you have to you have to tell exactly profess what you are. So I, I find I find that um, anti-Semitic in tone. Maybe not in 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 uh, maybe the people themselves don't see themselves as anti-Semitic. However, having said that, all criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic. You know, the idea that you want a, you believe that a, let's say that you're from the middle of Kansas, you're from a Caribbean neighborhood in Brooklyn, or you're from a Latino neighborhood in L.A., okay? If you're passionate about a one-state solution, that doesn't make you anti-Semitic. And I think that, I think that uh, that uh, is problematic when it's said. Everyone has the right to believe in political solutions and what's best for the world they live in. I might not like it. they might not like it. It doesn't matter in the end, right? It doesn't matter because that's only going to be filtered through U.S politics, right? U.S. politics that are set to force your government to rethink their aid to Israel. You get what I'm saying? So that is not, that is not, that's, you know, you can easily make that argument. Now, as an Israeli or as a pro-Israel Jew, Jewish person, you can say, look at they're singling out Israel. That's anti-Semitic. Okay, the Holy Land, Palestine, the land of Israel, before the state of Israel, has always conjured up emotions. We have to, we have to remember that this has been an area you know, uh, fraught with divisions for years and centuries. So, so the fact that people are emotional over it, yeah, right. A lot of people go to church, they hear sermons at their church. They juxtapose themselves vis-a-vis that sermon. And modern politics are like that. They watch TV in the morning. They say, wow, I just heard the Israeli general speak. That's a bunch of BS. Or they say, wow, I really sympathize what he's saying, right, or she's saying. So, so yeah, it's going to be, there's nothing you can do.
0: It's going to be controversial. It's gonna remain controversial. I wanted to ask you one last thing. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly here about the Israeli far-right as embodied by a figure like, say, Bezalel Smotrich. Or uh, Itzmer Ben Giever, or even increasingly, for some reason, I don't know why he's giving interviews all of a sudden, but I'm seeing Jonathan Pollard pop up all over the place giving interviews. Oh, God, yes. I, I oh my that. God. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that stood out to me is I've seen figures like Smotrich and others say what needs to be done is a complete, they use the term denazification of places like the West Bank and Gaza. And it's very reminiscent to me of uh, Putin's rhetoric for invading Ukraine. This idea, we need to denazify. What do you make of this rhetoric that the far right in Israel is using? And uh, how dangerous are they? Well,
1: for A, they're very dangerous because we know what what happened partially is is their obsession with, you know, uh, basically colonizing the West Bank beyond uh, a stage where it's you can't you can't turn the clock back right what they call you know facts on ground placing facts on the ground and they've been very successful netanyahu only was elected because he legitimized the neo-fascist movements within israel that should be very clear uh itamar bingvir for years has been sidelined by all politicians including right-wing politicians so very much like you know uh, whether it's uh, Trump that had to, you know, Trump, you know, had to give a kosher stamp to legitimize the white nationalist. He needs their votes. I call it scraping the pot. So a lot of far-right politicians are having to scrape the pot to get that few extra percent they need to push them over. That includes Erdogan in, in, in Turkey also, right? Um, uh, legitimizing groups that he would never, ever seen sitting with in his in his life he needed that extra one or two percent otherwise he's going to lose parliamentary system versus that so the language they're using i think is incredibly dangerous i think the very first day i said uh i said you know hamas is not nazis or or was isis no i said they're not isis this idea that they were you know, isis you know i mean you know, this the, the language people are using and the, the, the language of denazification. I agree with you. I never thought about it, but Ukraine—it's exactly exactly the same language that's being used, and it's not by chance. Because I mean, they 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 see how this catches on internationally, right? And and that is going to catch a lot of you know sympathy among far right groups in the U.S. and and in Europe. <clears throat> so I think it's not by chance it's very 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 you know um, the language being used on Israeli media is unhinged um when you know the 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 non-stop and you know by the way let me say this and, and I sh- this should be clear Israelis have a right to be disgusted hurt everything from October 7th right? I don't think many countries would act very differently than they did. And I say that with great sorrow. I don't think any other country would have acted in a different way, in a different, you know, that's sort of expected. But a month and a half later, you know, that the the constant usage of them comparing them to Nazis. Now remember, the, uh, the UN representative from Israel put on that Star of David. And Yad Vashem came out and said, stop. You guys are crossing the line now. And I think that's important, right? But that using, Nazifying, because if you Nazify your enemy to such an extent, then there's no enemy, you you know, there's no humanity to that person.
0: That leads into uh, this last issue I wanted to cover, which was, um, I keep hearing that once Netanyahu is gone, and this is from some of my more... I I would say, optimistic American Jewish friends that once Netanyahu is gone, uh, you know it's going to be all gravy, Um, as in things will just get better. Uh, The far right will not be in power. And in some ways, I'm skeptical of that. I think it would be an improvement. Don't get me wrong. But even if figures like Ben Giver and um, Smotrich are gone, I mean, we've seen In the past, what these people can do when they're not in power, you know, uh, a figure like Baruch Goldstein or Eden Natanzada, uh, you know, there has been violence even when they weren't in power. Um, And also, I don't think they're going away. Um, And I do think that there's, it's going to take more than just Netanyahu being gone for, you know, peace to be achieved. Could you comment on those two things? Yeah, well, first, you know, this October 7 happened within the
1: context of over nine months of uh, protests against Netanyahu, <clears throat> the what they call the judicial coup, and they call it the judicial reforms, opposition. The opposition includes a lot of people on the right wing, lots of people that were formerly coup members that are in in Benny Gantz's party right now, right? So, you know, the when we talk about the anti-Netanyahu coalition, we're talking about a large group that used to be Likud. And that's why I said they needed these other groups to get in power because they lost their own traditional voters, right? The old traditional voters said, you know what, Netanyahu is corrupt, we're leaving it. So Netanyahu had to get votes from somewhere else and that's why he got that, he got those votes. So what will come after Netanyahu, uh, I would hope, A, would be stability. Um, And I say this, that I had hoped the last government would bring some sort of stability. The last government was... Led by a, uh, also by a settler, Naftali Bennett, right? He's not a settler himself, but supporter of the settlement movement. I, I forget the party. It was Bennett and Shaked, and they had like five people in. And but he's he's a uh, you know pro settlement. Um, he was the head of uh, the settlement union, I believe. Um, but so he's far right wing. He's far right wing. But what I was hoping was that if they would have, you know, remained is that they would bring some kind of stability, first of all, to the political system. That's in we're in desperate need of that, um, I think. Um, and from there, you can they also had an inter- interesting case of, uh, you know, Mansur Abbas, the Islamist party, joining in with him and then giving him legitimacy. So that Mansour Abbas came out very strongly uh, again uh, you know after October 7 condemning October 7 in a very very loud voice within you know within days um one of his um, own Parliament members uh, said this denied it and he said if you don't apologize you'll be fired so we have we have I think we have groups that are are they want change but if they're not willing to make the change so a you have problems of the the far right that you spoke about yes before they were in government you had problems and you're going to have problems and 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 within that within that this is very important within the, those protest movements people started bringing up over and over again wait a minute it's your guys's fault because you you forced us to leave gaza our homes in gaza right there was this sort of revival of this discussion of the 2005 forced removal of settlers from Gaza. And you guys aren't happy with the judicial, you know, the, ju- the ju- judicial courts now, but we weren't happy then. It's the same thing, right? And and it's not the same thing. They were living on occupied territory that wasn't Israel by Israeli law, period. It's, it's pretty clear cut, right? The minute Israel says to settlers, you have to leave, they have to leave. That's not, it's not Israel by Israeli law. That's, that should be clear. It was never annexed and Jerusalem would be different, but, <clears throat> and we even know that the Golan Heights in 2007, they, they negotiated over it. So, so yeah, these, these aren't going away, but really what you're going to have to see now in, in Israeli society is a large secular group between Center and center right that take the reins of the country and say now we have to get our house in order. We can no longer be ruled by these small groups, these interest groups, right? Because how the coalition is done, the coalition is done that you know you have seven groups. You need a coalition. You know you have a Hasidic group. The Hasidic group, the first thing they were interested in when when interested in was to cancel the law against plastic plates and forks. I'm not joking. That was one of Very first thing this government did, I teach it because it really shows that they were interested in plastic plates because, you know, you you don't need to wash them, it's kosher and they're cheap and you can pass them out and whatever, forks, you know, stuff like that. Okay, but the far fascist groups were talking about more. They broke the Ministry of Defense up into two pieces. Ben Gvir wants this, they want this. So Netanyahu is so desperate to stay in power that he started giving them almost everything they needed. Um, so that's when I talk about stability. That's what I'm talking about. That we're going to go back to some kind of system where the the majority of people here say, "Listen, stop enough. How do we move forward? How do we?" And that is going to have to include something with the Palestinians. Let me real fast say something. Netanyahu's secret. I said it before. I'll say it again. Stabilize, strong economy. Minimize the conflict. So a lot of Israelis got used to saying, "Well, you know what? Things aren't so bad. I can go abroad. I can come back. I have money. I have enough. Even if I'm poor, poorer, I can still go to Greece every year. I can still buy things and uh, commodities. So that that you know that push towards you know there's no conflict um, is going to have to go back to the days of Omer and before, where whether they're right wing or left wing. They said you have to go move forward with the peace process because it's unsustainable. And that's what the military continues to say. Most people in the military.
0: Is there a way I was talking to Omar Bartov about this, the um Holocaust historian, and he sort of compared that uh, giver and figures like him to, you know, a golem that needs to be deactivated. Um, is there a way to deactivate? these sort of the most violent settlers, because I think there's also, and this will be a a conversation for another time, but I think there's also young people that are settlers, don't even realize it, they don't know where the green line is. But when it comes to the most violent settlers, the hilltop youth and whatnot, is there a way that these kind of movements can be uh, sort of deactivated by the Israeli establishment? It's going to be very
1: difficult, very, very difficult. You have generations led to believe that what they're doing is completely legitimate. They have the support of the government. It's not going to be nice. There's no, you know, I, maybe this is a, 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 a hard place to end, but there's no happy ending scenario here. And we saw that on October 7th and we saw that in the aftermath of October 7th with so many, so many people killed in Gaza. There is no happy ending to the scenario. Um, and within the Israeli society, that's why I said they're going to have to they're going to really have to take back the state in their hands and say, no, you know, this small percentage of, of radical settlers shouldn't be riding our future, because until now, that's they, that's what they're doing. Right. When 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 they when they have numerous, even right now, numerous attacks in the West Bank by settlers on, on, on Palestinians, that helps no one. That does not help the Israeli cause in any way, shape, or the form. Shape or form, it does damage to the Israeli cause, right? So that's what we're really going to. That's where we're really going to have to. For Israel, that is the that is a challenge. How do you take your state back? They tried to do this the last nine months. They will succeed in getting Netanyahu out, but it's going to take much more than that. It's going to have to take them a switch to say, okay, how do we create a country that's going to be here in seventy-five more years? And that's going to be the question, because if they don't, it's going it can deteriorate from from within over time. Um, and October 7th should be a, a, a really big wake up, wake up call, unfortunately.
0: I want to thank you again, uh, Louis Fishman, for coming on Parallax to Use. How can my listeners keep up with your work? And I'm going to have to have you back on to talk more about the Ottoman book at some point. Yeah, I would
1: love to. I'd love to uh, always spread a talk about it. Uh, Ottoman days and stuff like that. And I'm currently doing a new research on that's going to continue on that. So there's a lot to talk about. Thanks so much for having me. And you're, what's your uh, Twitter
0: or X or whatever they're calling it these days?
1: Yeah. Uh, let me look. It, it just You can find me by Louis Fishman, L-O-U-I-S-F-I-S-H-M-A-N or Istanbul Tel Aviv. This is the, I, as I look at, yeah, at Istanbul Tel Aviv. You can find okay. me there on Twitter X. And I'm also on um, Blue sky, which is um, I'm just starting to get on last month and a half before October. I was very, very uh, confident that I was going to slowly move over there, but since since this breakout in violence, we see that Twitter is still very, very important, or X, whatever it is, is still very, very important to get to get news out to to lots of people. So thanks so much for having me and for, for sharing this information. <laughs>
0: That does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Louis Fishman, and that you'll consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. It is you, dear listener, that keeps this show afloat. I have one advertiser, the mighty mike swanson of wall street window but otherwise this show is entirely listener supported so patreon.com slash parallax views is the way you can help keep this show going if you find it useful and with that being said until next time You've been listening to Parallax Views with J.G. Michael. To Parallax Views with J.G. Michael. The way out is not simply to say, don't do it, just to prohibit If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like crazy. So, you know, we have to confront the problem.
1: But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxieties, problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field
0: of struggle.